about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weakly. They stoop and bow down together. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnants of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and grey hairs. I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place and there it stands. From that spot it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say... My purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land, a man to fulfil my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendour to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. That is totally on me. Good evening, everybody. Good to be with you, uh, and I hope you're doing okay. Uh, if you haven't, if I didn't really introduce myself properly at the beginning, my name is Andrew Errington, I'm the senior minister here. Um, I'm really happy to, uh, somebody asked a good question about vaccination in the, the chat online, I'm really happy to talk about that later on if you want to. Um, I, for those who've been with us throughout this, uh, this period, you will know that I've, I've been very positive about vaccination and I'm fully in favour of it, uh, but I just don't want to lose people who can't uh, or for whatever won't reason won't uh, get vaccinated so happy to talk about that later but for now I would love us to turn our eyes back to this wonderful book Isaiah uh, which again is leading us in this time and I hope will be a real blessing can we pray as we come to God's word father thank you so much for these words that Maxon has just read and for giving them to us and giving us this time to attend to them this evening, Lord. 
would you write them on our hearts and show us yourself and your glory through them. For Jesus' sake. Amen. What are you banking on? What are you banking on? It's a nice phrase, that one, banking on. Uh, it's, 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 it means relying on something. It means putting your confidence in something, banking on something, making a bet that something will turn out well and be good for you. The phrase works, of course, by referring to the world of money and actually, literally, of banks. You put your money where you think it will grow and work out. What are you banking on in life? Not just literally in the sense of where are you putting your money, uh, if you have any, uh, although that is relevant to this wider question, but more broadly, what are you hoping will see you through life, cause your life to turn out well? What will carry you through, make the future work out well for you? What, what are you banking on? It's a big question. It's an important question. It's also the question that Isaiah kind of asks the people of Judah in Isaiah chapter 46, the passage to which we turn uh, this evening. Uh, this week, as, as we said before, we return to the part of the Bible that we, we began the year with, Isaiah 40 to 55. If you weren't with us earlier in the year, that's totally fine. Really glad you're with us now. Or, or if you don't remember, these chapters of Isaiah are written to the people of Judah or Israel at a particularly desolate time. Uh, it was the 6th century BC, that is the 500s BC, and early in that century, Israel, <clears throat> actually technically Judah, was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The Babyl Babylonians came across and just wiped, wiped out, really, Jerusalem. And all the people, almost all the people, were taken captive into Babylon. It was a dreadful time. And God's people were broken and enslaved and in despair. If you want to kind of recall this background or get to grips with it, can I recommend a little introduction that I've written? We shared it at the beginning of the year. We've put it up again on the Church Life page. You might want to look at it there. But into that desolate situation, the prophet Isaiah speaks a word of profound comfort. Profound comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. He begins in chapter 40. God has not forgotten you, Isaiah says, but is coming. Coming to save and to restore. There is good news, says Isaiah. And it's good news that is also relevant for us today, too, actually, still. Because the salvation promised in these chapters points forward to the salvation achieved in Jesus Christ. What we read in Isaiah here is not just something that applies to Judah and Israel way back then, but it's something that speaks to us here and now because of Jesus. Which brings us to chapter 46, where we begin again today. Um, can, Caleb, can you activate the clicker so I can advance the slides? Thanks, mate. In this chapter, in chapter 46, Isaiah asks Israel to think about what they are banking on. He challenges them to think about what they can really trust to carry them through the future. 
And these are questions that are, are really very much relevant to us now. They, they speak to us, I think, with a kind of urgency that we have to take seriously. So come, come with me as we look at this incredible chapter together. We can kind of parse out Isaiah's challenge to Judah under three questions. He asks them first, who can you trust to carry you? Second, he asks them, who can you count on in the future? And third, who can save you, he asks, without giving up on justice? That third one's a bit complicated. I'll say more about it when we get to. First, let's, let's start with number one, obviously. Okay, so Isaiah's first question is, who can you trust to carry you? He asks it by this vivid image. Have a look again from verse 1. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together. Unable to rescue the burden, they themselves go off into captivity. This might sound a bit weird, uh, it's Bel and Nebo and what's that, but it's not too hard to get actually. Bel and Nebo are the names of Babylonian deities, Babylonian gods. And what Isaiah is picturing here is idols being carried around by donkeys or cows, oxen. But the problem is that these idols are actually quite heavy and so they, they are weighing down and making life difficult for those who are carrying them. And Isaiah sees this as an incredibly ironic image of how hopeless these idols are. He goes on to contrast this, then, with the Lord. In contrast to these idols who need to be carried and are burdensome, the Lord is the one who carries his people. Have a look at verse 3. Listen to me, God says, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even to your old age and grey hairs. I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Isn't this a beautiful image? And such a great contrast, right? Those idols have to be carried about. There are weight around the neck, slowing them down, making everything difficult. But the Lord, he is the one who has carried Israel always, since their birth until the day of their death. I have made you, he says, and I will carry you. You know, it's a simple contrast, but the deepest truth what and who can truly carry us? What can sustain us and keep us to the end of our lives? Who can do that? Now, not many of those watching, I suspect, uh, carries around a heavy idol in their handbag or backpack day to day, although we have the Azalis with us who are in Thailand and they reminded me this morning that in Thailand actually people absolutely do that. But most of us probably don't do that. But that doesn't mean that we are not hoping that other things will carry us. Or that the things that we are hoping will carry us are actually 
weighing us down. Think for a moment about the way that we place confidence in ourselves. One of the cliches of our age is believe in yourself. And we do believe in ourselves, I think. We believe in ourselves in the sense that we start to place the weight of our security, our happiness and our success, we start to place that weight on our own shoulders, on our own abilities and achievements. Underneath our daily lives, we think that we, we need to look after ourselves. We need to carry ourselves through whatever challenges we may have to face. In conversations with others, at work, with friends, with families, we project image of ourselves as capable, clever people who are pulling off life in style. And we project these images literally on social media. And you know, it can be a terrible weight to bear these expectations of ourselves. Exactly what Isaiah pictures with the idols starts to happen with our images of ourselves, our expectations of ourselves and our images of ourselves. They start to be a weight. My image of myself as somebody who is succeeding, who is capable and sufficient for the task... It becomes harder and harder to sustain over time. Rather than helping us through life, our belief in ourselves can actually become a weight, a hindrance, something we have to carry along with difficulty. Do you hear Isaiah here? The images that are carried are burdensome, a burden for the weary. Is that what your image of yourself making your way through life is doing? The picture of yourself you have cultivated so carefully, is it helping you or is it hindering you? The phone in your pocket that keeps grabbing your attention and and asking you to present yourself in a particular way There's only one who who we can count on to carry us. The one who has upheld us already since birth and will be there at the moment of our death. Our maker, our sustainer. Why not turn to him and release our trust in ourselves and hear his promise, I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you. And I will rescue you. The second part of Isaiah's challenge to Israel is to ask them who they can really count on for the future. He begins by asking Israel to attempt a comparison. Have a look at verse 5. With whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom, God says, will you liken me that we may be compared? And then... Isaiah suggests a possible comparison. Verse 6, Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. They bow down and worship it. They lift it up to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place. 
And there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer, it cannot save them from their troubles. The focus here has shifted now to the fact that idols can't act. They cannot do anything. Isaiah highlights it beautifully uh, by just pointing out that an idol stays where you put it. If you put it there, there it will be. It can't act. It can't take any initiative. And then he goes on and contrasts this with God. Verse 8, remember this, keep it in mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, says God, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I've said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. In total contrast to an idol, stands the God who is purely and totally free. Who can do what he wills. Who has the future at his command. My purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That's, that's the living God right there. And if he wills to free his people from Babylon, he will. He will summon a bird of prey that is Cyrus, the king of Persia, and he will free them. You know, plans are really problematic things. Because none of us actually knows the future. Our best laid plans, as the saying goes, I, can't actually, I couldn't remember what the saying was, but it's something about mice and men. Anyway, the point of the saying is best laid plans often don't work. That's, in fact, that, that definitely was not the saying, best laid plans often don't work, because that's hopeless. But our plans get thrown out the window as reality crashes into them. When things are stable and predictable, we can sometimes forget this, but then a pandemic happens and our total ignorance of the future crashes in on us once again. We cannot know the future. We cannot guarantee it. We cannot guard it for one another. But the Lord can. The Lord can. He can guard the future, for the future has to make room for his plans, and not the other way around. The future takes its orders from what the Lord decides to do. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. No one can actually say that, except he can. What can match that, right? What compares to that? I'll tell you what doesn't compare to it. Wealth. It's interesting how wealth comes in in this passage in the way Isaiah describes idols in verse 6. He says, people pour out gold. I'll go back to it. Where is it? Back here. He says, some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. People put money into these idols, right? Thinking that the investment will somehow make them more trustworthy. 
We do the same, I think. We pour out money, we invest money into things, into property or precious metals, the, 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 the weird rare metals you need for an iPhone, stocks, hoping that they will give us a defense against the uncertainty of the future. They absolutely cannot do this. Because what we make with our money is just what we make. It does not come to life. And it cannot take the initiative to save us. The market, the economy, these fragile abstractions that people speak about with religious reverence, they will not come to life and save us. They will not listen to our cries and they cannot tell us what is to come. Don't be fooled, brothers and sisters, by the graph that tends in the same direction over time as if it was a kind of reliable prophecy. It is not. It will tend in that direction until it doesn't, be that a short time or a long time. Because it, it's not alive. It cannot act. It cannot take the initiative. And it will not save us. There is only one whose promise is more certain than any future. The living God who raised Jesus from the dead. Bank on him. Bank on him. Well, the last part of Isaiah's challenge <clears throat> comes in verses 12 to 13. Have a look at it with me. Isaiah writes, Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. We meet here a theme that will be important throughout these chapters of Isaiah. The theme of God's coming righteousness. We've called this series Righteousness Coming for this reason. Because it's a bit odd, you see, the way the language of righteousness is used here. Did you notice? What does it mean that God says he is, he is bringing his righteousness near? We'll see these, this kind of language again in chapters to come. Have a look at chapter 51, these Verses in chapter 51. My righteousness draws near speedily, says the Lord. My salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations. My salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. What does this mean? That God's righteousness is something coming, something he is bringing. It helps to know that the Hebrew word for Righteousness also means justice. English has two words, justice and righteousness, for what in Hebrew is just one, tzedakah. And God is saying here also that his justice is coming. He's saying also that his justice is coming, if I can put it that way. It's drawing near. God is saying that he is bringing his justice, his just action, in accordance with his righteous character to make things right. And that, he says, will mean salvation. In one swoop, God is going to bring justice and 
salvation. That's what we want, I think, to have both justice and salvation. That is, we want to be okay in the end, right? We want to be saved, to be safe. We want to be okay, but we also want things to be put right. We want justice or righteousness. The idea of being saved without justice, well, we know that's not quite right. But we're also not that mad about the idea of justice that leaves us in its wake. We can't help caring about ourselves, I don't think. What God promises, and I just want to slow down on this, God promises an act of justice that is also, and at the same time, an act of salvation. He promises to save precisely by being righteous. Right? This is not justice that is mere reckoning or mere revenge. I think people really want that today sometimes. They want justice in the sense of a reckoning. And sometimes that tips over into revenge. God's justice is salvation. It's life. How? It's actually a mystery that we are going to explore with Isaiah over the coming weeks. But for now, let me just point out that the Bible sees the solution of this mystery in the sacrifice of Jesus. For in Jesus' death and resurrection, God was at the same time both perfectly just and our Saviour. It was an act in which God saved precisely by being righteous. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 sums up the Christian gospel, the good news, like this. And the terms come straight from Isaiah. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. You see that? Righteousness coming. What's the good news? It's God's righteousness. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Lots of big words, complicated ideas, but just stay with it. Jesus' sacrifice, and he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Do you see what's going on here? The righteousness of God somehow saves us. That's what Isaiah spoke of. And that's what Paul says has happened in Jesus. There are depths here that I hope we can explore as we go on in Isaiah and, Lord permitting, for many years to come. For now, though, I just want to finish by asking, who, who can do this? Who else can do this? Who else or what else can deliver together without sacrificing either one or the other both righteousness and salvation, both justice and our good? God addresses Israel here as you who are far from righteousness. That's us too, I think. We are, are not, not really a just society, not in the way that we should be. We're not really righteous people. What would it be like for justice to be done, really done, to us. 
Who do we know who could deliver that and it still work out well for us? But that is God's promise. That is exactly God's promise. God's righteousness that will save. It's a mystery that lies at the heart of the gospel of Jesus and that, as I've said, we're going to keep working over. For now, though, let's just ask the question that Isaiah asks Judah here. Who else can deliver salvation like that? What are you banking on, friends? Bank on the Lord, the one who was before all things, who made you and who will sustain you, who has carried you since your first days, whose purpose will stand and who has chosen to be both just and your saviour. Bank on him. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.